Eve recording lair. My name is James Nagel. Welcome to The Irish Nation Lives. On the 25th of January 1921, Eamon de Valera made a statement to Dáil Éireann following his return from the United States, and he received departmental reports from the relevant ministers. The minutes of the meeting aren't exactly the most exciting, and contain entries such as the following. The Minister for Finance then presented his report, which contained an estimate of the expenses of the various departments for the period ending 30th of June 1921. The Minister for Defence did not agree with the figures set down against his department in the report. The Minister for Finance stated that the amount shown by him was the amount paid by the Finance Department, and he was in a position to say his figures were correct as submitted. It doesn't seem like much, but what we see here is a bitter rivalry made public, one which would divide the government and help shape the factions of the Irish Civil War. By all accounts, Michael Collins and Cahill Brewer had been cordial during the early stages of the War of Independence, but their working relationship soon turned sour and was described as poisonous by December of 1920. The common perception is that Brewer was blindly jealous of Collins and the reputation he had built leading the guerrilla campaign. Overly sympathetic portrayals of Collins and, until recently, a complete lack of research on Brewer helped to reinforce this interpretation, but this of course isn't the full story. Collins is widely regarded as having been difficult to work with, even by those who admired him. His heavy drinking and constant use of foul language set him at odds with his older, more conservative colleagues, especially the teetotaler and devout Catholic Brewer. But the vicious feud that was about to erupt between them was more than just a conflict of attitudes, and its origin could be traced back to 1916. In the aftermath of the Easter Rising, Brewer had left the Irish Republican Brotherhood, the secret, oath-bound society which had infiltrated the Irish volunteers and orchestrated the failed rebellion. He argued that the Brotherhood was no longer necessary now that they had open organisations like the Irish Volunteers and Sinn Féin, and told one member that, if it continues to exist, it will only create trouble and do harm. Eamon de Valera was another high-profile defector who agreed that the IRB was no longer needed, and many members drifted away after they were released from prison. Though the organisation was crippled by the execution of its leading figures, there were still those who believed that it had a role, if not the main role to play, in achieving Irish independence. Among them was Michael Collins. Interned at Franguk after the 1916 Rising, Collins breached the IRB constitution by setting up an unauthorised branch with himself at the head. After his release, senior members called for him to be reprimanded or even expelled, but instead he was rapidly promoted by the new president, Thomas Ash, who recognised his talent. Collins assisted Ash in reorganising the Irish volunteers and was called on to give the graveside oration at his funeral in September of 1917. The IRB also sought to extend its influence over Sinn Féin, if not outrightly seize control of the party, and Collins issued instructions to its members on who to vote for at the 1917 Ardèche. The plan failed, however, when it was revealed and condemned on the convention floor. This resulted in just three IRB men being elected to the 24-person Sinn Féin executive, with Collins coming in last. Still, the IRB had shown that it wouldn't simply fade into obscurity, and de Valera, elected president of Sinn Féin, would need to accommodate them to maintain unity within the movement. Brewer seems to have distrusted Collins by virtue of his continued membership of the IRB, and his elevation to president of the Supreme Council in mid-1919 can't have helped matters. 
Now, with both men serving as government ministers and de Valera absent in the United States, the dislike between them began to grow, and the Irish volunteers became the first point of contention. While Brewer believed that the Irish volunteers should act only in a defensive capacity, Collins had been using his influence to push a more militant policy. Uniquely, the volunteers themselves elected their officers instead of them being appointed by general headquarters. This encouraged a level of independence that allowed isolated units to operate effectively during the War of Independence, but it also presented the IRB with an opportunity to take control. They ordered their members to go forward for election to officer positions, and where they were defeated, they simply swore the victor into the Brotherhood. This would eventually dilute the membership and cause the Supreme Council considerable trouble, but for now, it allowed them to build a nationwide network through which they could exert authority. In a bid to counter the IRB, Brewer had a motion passed requiring all TDs, civil servants, and members of the Irish Volunteers to swear allegiance to Dáil Éireann. He hoped this new oath would prevent volunteers from taking the one administered by the Brotherhood, and that it would also impact their members who sat in Dáil Éireann. Instead, the IRB simply changed its constitution. In the 1870s, it had put forward the policy of abstentionism, which was later adopted by its former member, Arthur Griffith. They became involved in his new political party, and were instrumental in the formation of the Irish Volunteers. As such, they could claim to have influenced the establishment of Dáil Éireann, and argued that taking the Oath of Allegiance to the Revolutionary Parliament was not inconsistent with their oath to the IRB. Their infiltration of the newly rebranded Irish Republican Army continued. In June of 1920, Dáil Éireann began to issue funds to the IRA for the first time. Up until then, they had been expected to support themselves, and this brought Brewer and Collins's department into greater contact than before. When de Valera returned from the United States in December 1920, he found a feud growing between the men, but didn't take it seriously. While he realised that Brewer was trying to keep the IRA under Dáil control, and was suspicious of Collins's IRB membership, de Valera simply put it down to jealousy and ignored them. But Brewer was also concerned that the Minister for Finance was diverting funds to the Irish Republican Brotherhood, and at the first cabinet meeting in January, he challenged the report made by Collins, declaring that £2,700 sterling, which was to be used to buy weapons in Glasgow, was missing. The money eventually surfaced. The discrepancy had been the result of poor bookkeeping, but it did little to smooth things over. While Collins would have torn into a colleague if they had made such a mistake, now that he was at fault, he complained to de Valera that Brewer was raking up petty technicalities, which in fairness wasn't far from the truth. Collins is said to have ran crying from a meeting organised to patch things up between the men, and Brewer refused to shake hands with him. Instead, he continued to challenge Collins's financial accounts in a vendetta that now began to impact the purchase and importation of weapons. He also heaped pressure onto IRA officers with requests for financial data at a time when it was difficult to provide. On the 14th of March, six men were executed by hanging at Mountjoy Prison. Three days later, the leader of the remaining prisoners, Michael Staines, wrote to Collins asking how he should respond to Brewer, who wanted information on accounts from a year beforehand. March also saw a revival of Brewer's plan to kill members of the British cabinet, which he had put forward in 1918, when he personally led a squad to London and had sat in the gallery of the House of Commons armed with a pistol. He summoned Longford IRA commander Sean McKeown to Dublin and told him, 
If you wiped out every black and tan in Ireland tomorrow, you'd have shiploads of them pouring in again the day after. To save Ireland, you have got to wipe out the guilty ones who sent the black and tans here. We have got to wipe out every member of the British cabinet. McKeown, fresh from a successful ambush against the auxiliaries at Clonfin, was ordered to assemble a group of men, assign each of them a minister in the British cabinet, and depart for London on what would surely have been a suicide mission. McKeown was also a member of the Irish Republican Brotherhood, and after this meeting he met with Collins, who was furious at Brewer's proposed plan. Though he had no authority to do so, he ordered McKeown back to Longford and told him to forget about the mission. McKeown was arrested on the way home, imprisoned and sentenced to death. Collins later demanded his release as a condition for continuing the treaty negotiations with the British government. The feud between the two men would continue throughout the year, culminating in Brewer's angry tirade against Collins at the treaty debates, which is said to have upset some undecided TDs and convinced them to support the compromise. Others, such as Seamus Robinson, shared his view that Collins had fabricated a reputation for himself as a military leader and had been influenced by his oath to the IRB in agreeing to the treaty. As so little is known about the Irish Republican Brotherhood, it's often ignored in accounts of the Irish Revolution. In its absence, other reasons had to be found for Brewer's attitude towards Collins, and usually it's put down to bitterness and jealousy. As Minister for Finance, Director of Intelligence of the Irish Republican Army, President of the Irish Republican Brotherhood, and briefly Acting President of Dáil Éireann, Collins possessed considerable influence during the War of Independence. He interfered with other government departments, and Brewer can't have but resented Collins's refusal to answer to the Department of Defence on matters relating to purchases and intelligence. Collins, for his part, believed that he was simply bypassing lazy or incompetent pinpushers at a time when quick and decisive action was needed. By bringing the most active and important members of the Republican movement together in the IRB, they could conduct the War of Independence free from the procedure of Dáil Éireann. Collins's continued centralisation of power in the earliest days of the Civil War have led some to question what he would have become had he survived. For now, the debate between himself and Brewer will continue to cause disruption and draw in more members of the Cabinet at the most important stage of the conflict. The British government was still seeking a decisive victory before the elections for separate Home Rule Parliaments in May, necessitated by the Government of Ireland Act, which had been passed with little actual reference to Ireland. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to be kept up to date with new episodes. I'll be covering the events of the War of Independence until the anniversary of the truce in July, before a short break to prepare for the treaty, the debates, and the civil war. Ahorda, thank you for joining me on The Irish Nation Lives. Slong Fall.